All right, Matthew chapter 6 this evening, Matthew chapter 6. We're going to pick this story up in um, verse 5 of Matthew chapter 6. Um, I said last week, if you weren't with us, we're working our way through the Sermon on the Mount, which is Matthew chapters 5 through 7. And I said last week that there is a definite progression of thought uh, in the, the order of Jesus' teaching here. Uh, this is a sermon that's not haphazard. Uh, sometimes if you are reading uh, through a passage of Scripture, like Matthew chapters 5, 6, 7, you may read a portion here or a portion there. So you might read about, don't worry, don't have anxiety. You might read about um, making sure we uh, have our minds right with reference to lust or with reference to anger. You might read about the Beatitudes. You might read about the, strong, the man who built his house on the rock versus the man who built his house on the sand, etc., um, and you don't always see how it ties together. And, um, but if you read this sermon through, five, six, seven, through, you, there's a definite progression of thought. And that progression of thought goes from Jesus teaching on the quality of our righteousness. Well, what are we supposed to, to look like? What, what kind of people are we supposed to be as followers of Jesus Christ? We're members of His kingdom by faith. He has given us new life. And so as those who follow Jesus, what are we supposed to look like in the world around us? How are we to be, what kind of quality are we supposed to, to live with? And, and how are people supposed to see us uh, living our lives as a testimony to the glory of Jesus? Then he moves into the morality of our righteousness. So the idea we've got to be pursuing excellence. And uh, he shows us six different examples of where we need to be pursuing excellence and morality. He talks about moral purity with reference to anger, lust, and divorce. And then he talks about moral action with reference to oaths, retaliation, and then loving of our enemies. And then last week we said he moves into this idea of the acts of our righteousness. In the first three, first 18 verses of Matthew chapter 6, he really tells us that there are three different kinds of acts that we are supposed to do as followers of Jesus, members of his kingdom. The first have to do with self-sacrifice. And he talks about that in Matthew chapter 6, and he starts by talking about, um, <clears throat> oh goodness, he starts by talking about giving to the needy and meeting the needs of other people. So we're to sacrifice ourselves and our wealth. We, we've been talking about this, working our way through the book of James in our Wednesday morning Bible study. Some of you were there this morning. And James chapter 2 is a, a tremendous chapter, but... There in James chapter 2, we often think about how James says faith without works is dead. That we have to have living faith works itself out in our lives. That our works, how we live our lives, justify, prove the fact that we have faith in our hearts. Um, that's the latter half of James 2. The beginning of James 2 uh, is a statement on equality in the life of the Christian church. Uh, the equality between the poor man and the rich man. The poor woman and the rich woman in the life of the Christian church. And Paul said, I mean, James says, when, when you show partiality to one over the other, and we can show partiality to impoverished folks, we can show partiality to rich folks. When you show partiality to one over the other, typically it's more rich folks get partial treatment versus poor folks. But when you show that partiality, you're committing an evil sin because you're making value judgments based upon worldly standards. And then he says, James says there, that the beauty of the law of God's liberty, of knowing Jesus, is that it frees us from sin 
and the attachments we have with the world. So the rich folks get freed from the burden of resting in their wealth. To trust Christ. To, to be poor in spirit. And to come before the Lord and depend upon Him. That frees them up then, since they're not dependent upon that wealth one day, that frees them up then to give that wealth to meet the needs of those who have who are impoverished. But the gospel of Jesus Christ also frees those who are impoverished from the worry, from the anxiety, from the concern of living in a world where their needs aren't met and they're constantly concerned. And it frees them to trust God and to trust other people in the church to meet their needs. So that when their needs are met, then they can turn around and meet the needs of other people. And so Jesus says, as Christians, we're called to sacrifice ourselves to meet the needs of other people. Then he talks about, in the second part of Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 18, he talks about self-discipline, prayer. We're going to go in more deeply into that tonight. And then lastly, he talked about self-denial. The idea of fasting, an example of self-denial. We deny ourselves uh, the passions of this life, maybe even what we consider to be the necessities of this life, the, the, especially the, uh, the things that, that draw us away from the Lord. We deny those things for ourselves so we can focus our minds and our attention on the Lord and grow in our relationship with Him, spending time with our Father who is in heaven. And so that's where we pick this up tonight, back in this idea of understanding who God is and really diving into how we spend time with our Father. And He gives us primarily in this lesson uh, a prayer that we are to use as a model. We pray the Lord's Prayer together every Sunday morning. Uh, we conclude our pastoral prayer that way. We pray that prayer together, but that prayer is not so much a prayer to be re recited, though I think it's a helpful thing to recite. Because it helps us think properly as we conclude our prayers. But it is a model to be used as we pray to the Lord. And we're going to dive into that a little bit more deeply this evening as we think about spending time with the Lord in self-discipline and the importance of that in our daily lives. And Jesus knows this because Jesus would go regularly off with his, from his disciples with, to spend time with his Father. And we ought to be doing the same. So we pick this up here in verse 5 uh, of Matthew chapter 6. I'll get started. And when you pray, Jesus says, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in a synagogues at street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees you in secret will reward you. Then he says in verse 7, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be, hard, be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this. And so Jesus here starts out, the first thing I want you to notice is that there's a, there's a, 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 a phrase that in the original is a participle, but, but when you pray, there's an assumption that we're going to pray. It's not going, if you pray, it's not if you think about praying, it's not, um, you should try, to, try this prayer thing. 
No, it, it's, it's an assumption that we're going to be praying. That people of faith are going to pray. Why do we pray? Well, when we pray, we present our requests to God. So we have this list of people. Each week we have this list. We sit out a prayer list and we add people to it. We take people off. We also pray for things like tonight we prayed for the world situation in Israel and in Ukraine and elsewhere. We, we, we recognize that there are things in this life about which we can do absolutely nothing. Okay? And so we bring that before the presence of God and we ask the one who can do something to do something about it. Because we recognize, as by, by virtue of our limitations, that there are limits to what we can do. So, for instance, um, we are praying for a variety of things. I'm going to use, uh, and Bill doesn't mind, I'm going to use Celeste as an example. So, right now, Celeste is doing the Lord's work, and she's serving people in Africa. And she's over there. Uh, it's a tumultuous time in the world in which we live, for sure. Uh, she's over there doing the Lord's work. She is confident in what she's doing. She is confident in her safety. But here in America, we recognize that she is there by herself with a team, but we can't do anything with her. We can't get to her. We can't protect her. And Bill certainly would do that if he could because that's the, his, his precious daughter. So what do we do? We pray for her. Because we know that our God in heaven can and will care for her while she is there. We'll be with her in that moment. Lisa asked us to pray for John. Same idea. We, you can't even talk to John on the phone. But we know the Lord's with him. We know the Lord will be with him. And so we, we recognize there's limitations, so we bring it before the presence of God. So Jesus is assuming that his people are going to pray. And he says, when you pray, I don't want you to be like the hypocrites. I don't want you to be like the Pharisees. I don't want you to be like the Gentiles. There's three different groups of people there. I don't want you to be like the Pharisees who were the religious leaders of the day, kind of the conservative preachers of the day. I don't want you to be like the hypocrites who are people who say one thing and do something completely other. And I don't want you to be like the Gentiles who don't believe, right? They don't have a faith. They're pagans. They worship idols. And I don't want you to be like them. And then he gives examples of what they do. The Pharisees and the hypocrites... They go out into the street corners and stand in the synagogues and they want to be seen by other people and they put on tassels and they do all this other stuff so that everybody will see them. They stand up with these loud voices so everybody will see them praying because their goal is to get the praise and approval of everyone else. They are seeking a reward. The Gentiles are heaping up empty phrases over and over and over and over again, saying the same stuff in different ways constantly. Why do they do that? Well, they do that because they feel like the more they can say about God or the more they can say about the God they believe in, the more they can conjure up his emotions, that he'll be um, likely to answer their prayers and hear them. Um, you may remember the story in the um, book of Kings. The story of the book of Kings where Elijah goes to battle at the altar with the priest of Baal. You may remember this story. The priest of Baal and Elijah basically have a showdown. Uh, and in their showdown, 
They, uh, somebody just picked it up and put it down. I'm sure it's a telemarketer telling me about my car insurance or whatever. Uh, but, um, but they have a showdown. And as they have a showdown, they have an altar. And the priest of Baal say, we can get our God to answer our prayer before you can get your God to answer your prayer. And we'll get the God to send fire down from heaven. And the priest of Baal start doing all kinds of stuff. They start chanting, they start dancing, they start singing, they start cutting themselves. And Elijah, being a good Southern American man with his sarcasm, says, go on, do a little bit more. I don't think he heard you. Do a little bit more. I don't think you didn't. I don't think you've done enough. Go on. Just sarcastically playing with them. And they're doing all kinds of stuff and nothing happens. And then they can't get a fire to come down from heaven. And Elijah says, they say, it's your turn. And Elijah says, put some water on the fire. And they pour water on the fire. And he said, no, nah, you didn't get it wet enough. Put some more water on the fire. Well, they put some water on the No, still, you didn't get I mean, soak this thing. Make, make it flood around the altar. And then Elijah simply prays, Lord, show your glory, something to that effect. And fire descends from heaven, consumes the water, consumes the altar, right? It's a short prayer. And Jesus says, I don't want you to be like this people who think you've got to heap up all these coals and all this stuff. I want you to be people who can simply come before your God and make your request. How do we have that opportunity? How do we have that privilege? Simply because of the fact that God, the God of the Bible, through Jesus Christ our Lord, is our Father. He is our Father. You know the number one determinant in your life in my life, regarding how we live our lives for the sake of the glory of God and how we carry on our lives and why we do what we do, the number one determinant, especially when it comes to the context of the application of our faith to our daily lives, to prayer, to discipline, to Bible study, but also to our daily lives, how we live our lives, the, one, the number one determinant is what do you believe about God? Your theology, how do you think about God? And so it's not coincidental that Jesus here, when he says, I don't want you to be like the hypocrites, I don't want you to be like the Pharisees who are out in an impersonal way trying to garner attention from everybody else, thinking somehow they're going to get God's best because they look the best. I don't want you to be like the Gentiles who are just heaping up all these empty phrases on top of each other, one after after another, thinking in some way you can manufacture a feeling in God to come to your side. In a sense, it would be like when I was in um, college, there was this girl I thought the world of, um, and uh, Patty and I didn't meet until I was in seminary, so this wasn't her. Uh, and so this was this was PP pre Patty. But anyway, uh, there was this girl I thought the world of, and I found I've told you all this story, I'm sure. I found out she liked Snickers bars and Sun Drops, which is the house wine of the South. But anyway, um, I so I would buy her like Sun Drops and Snickers bars, leave a little note outside our college dorm door. I mean, I was so sappy and pathetic. But anyway, I was trying everything I could to get her to like me, and she ain't never liked me, ain't never going to like me, and, and, and probably never will ever like me, right? She wasn't even my friend, really. But the idea was I was trying to, to, to do something. Everything I thought the more I did, the more I was going to get her attention. right? And so it's the same concept that these Gentiles. People do this. There are people who call themselves Christians. If we can conjure up enough praise, if we can say enough words, if we can get enough of the Spirit, if we can get the music going just right, God will bless us. No, what? What makes you think that? You have a Father who is in heaven 
who has already chosen to love you by His own volition. He has already sealed that love for you in His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ's life, death, and resurrection. He has called you to faith, made you believe in Him and come to faith in Him. What makes you think you need to do a whole bunch of stuff to get His attention? He loves you and He wants to hear from you. And so Jesus says, simply, our Father, when you pray, you approach your God as He is. He is your loving Father. Plain and simple. What father would turn away his son? What father, loving father, would turn away his daughter? I, I just watched a, a TV show. White Collar is one of my favorite TV shows. I watched it like seven times. But I was watching it, and there's an episode uh, of this a guy who's an American diplomat. His son gets us in trouble in Myanmar. Um, and uh, the father and the son have an estranged relationship. But the father contacts the FBI to make sure they could try to get the son back. And though they haven't spoken in years, that father loves his son so much, he's willing to stop at nothing to get his son out of prison in a foreign country. I think it's a pretty dynamic statement. But you and I don't have an estranged relationship with our Father. We have a personal one. And our Father is in heaven. So not only do you have a Father, it's one thing for my children to say, my, my, my dad will fix it. It's a whole other thing for me and you to say, or you and me to say, better English. Our Father in heaven has fixed it in Jesus. And will do what needs to be done to meet our needs. So Jesus says, you approach your Father who is in heaven. You don't have to go out here and try to get everybody's attention and let everybody know how spiritual you are. Spiritual you are. You don't have to go out here and say all this other stuff to try to conjure up his emotions or strike his emotions where he's going to like at you. He's already looking at you with joy and delight and wonder and love through Jesus our Lord. Our Father who art in heaven. That's how we approach Him. He's in heaven. Hallowed be Thy name. Our goal, right, for all of us, if we have a Father that loving and that wonderful and that great and that awesome, right, it's natural for us to recognize our goal to be to make His name known. Worshipped be Your name. Praised be Your name. We understand that there is God has to do nothing to make His name greater than it already is. But what we do recognize as well is we need that reminder that our goal, our responsibility is to worship and revere the name of our God. If He's as great as He says He is, He's as great as we've experienced Him to be, then by nature we're going to say, Your name be great. Thy kingdom come. Our focus is on the kingdom of God coming. Twofold, really, really, twofold thing to this. When we pray, first of all, for the kingdom of God to come, we're thinking about God's active reign in the hearts of men and women and children. We're also praying for Christ to return. But one of the great hope-filled things that we get to experience in this life 
is that we get to subdue ourselves and submit ourselves to King Jesus who is currently on the throne. And though everything is not brought into subjection to Him yet, it will be, but He is currently working in the world around us to accomplish His will and His purposes. That's why we're not terrified about what's going on in the Middle East and the connection between Hezbollah, Hamas, and Iran, and Iran's connection to Russia, and Russia to China, etc. We're, we're recognizing, right? Ultimately, King Jesus sits on a throne. And His people are those who rest in that reality. And so when we pray for the Lord's kingdom to come, we're praying for Christ to return and destroy evil once and for all. But we're also praying that the active reign of Christ be realized in my life, in your life, in the lives of other people. So fundamentally we're praying for the advancement of the gospel. We're praying for men, women, and children to submit themselves to Christ and start living to His glory. We're praying for justice to be established, equality in the world in which we live, the church to demonstrate all of that for the world around her. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Lord, we want your will done on earth as it is in heaven. Again, finally, that'll be when Christ returns. But prior to that, we should be wanting to see God's will done in each one of our lives, in the lives of other people, in the lives of the church, in the, in the world itself, more regularly, on earth as it is in heaven. So we're praying for the kingdom of God to come, the hallowing of God's name. In the hallowing His name, He's going to bring His kingdom. People are going to submit to Christ. The gospel is going to go forward. As they do, the will of God is going to be done in the lives of men, women, and children because they're going to submit them to Him. Whole nations perhaps could be revived and saved for the glory of Jesus. Then we're praying for His daily provision. Give us this day our daily bread. Notice the first three petitions have to do with God and His glory. The last one has to do with our needs. The fourth one has to do with our needs. Uh, this list of things are great. But as we typically call in lists of names, lists of prayer concerns... They usually have to do with the needs of each other and our own needs. And here we're told the proper, proper priority. Fourth, asking, Father, you just simply take care of us. But notice, daily. The emphasis is on daily. Bread is anything you might need daily. We've got to trust God today, tomorrow, the next day. In a few verses, he'll say, we'll see this next week. Don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow's got enough to worry about itself. You spend all this time worrying about what's going to happen 5, 10, 15 years down the road. You ought to be worried about what's happening now. Getting through the night. Getting some rest. Getting up and going through the day and trusting that God's going to provide what you need tomorrow. Now, of course, he's given us minds and wisdom to plan for the future. But we ought to, as James will say... Say, if the Lord wills, we'll save this for the future. But if not, we'll trust Him for the moment. Trusting the Lord each and every day of our lives. Priority of prayer, but also pattern of prayer. What are we praying for? Last, the next one is the grace of our Father. Here's the cool thing. When we pray for daily bread, we know our Father's going to meet it. right? Jesus will say, what man, when a son asks him for uh, a, a, a bread, will give him a stone? What, what man, when, I, I forget the analogy, but maybe, when, when the, let's just stick with bread and stone. I know that's the right analogy. One has to do with viper, but I'm going to leave it alone. Uh, but what, what man 
would say to his son, now here's a stone, right? I did that to my grandfather growing up as a joke, right? We had some plastic bread at the house, and my grandfather sat down. He's like, oh, I'm so excited I got bread. That's different. That's your granddad's a joke. You wouldn't do that really, right? We had a piece of bread for him. You wouldn't do that to your children. Father of heaven's not going to do that to us. And then he says, the grace of our Father. Father, forgive me for my trespasses or my sins, my debts. It's good Presbyterians, we're going to say debts. Um, we have a great Methodist here. She says trespasses. And that's great. <laughs> Latin, Greek, same difference. Same concept. But we're asking for forgiveness. Forgive my sins. But when you pray that prayer, and when Jesus teaches his disciples to pray that prayer, he says, ask for forgiveness, but as I forgive those who have trespassed against me, or those who have sinned against me, or those who are debtors to me. Um, those to whom I am indebted. I, I think that's incredibly important. It seems to me, this is not the only place Jesus does this. He does it just prior to this as well. I mean, just below this. And he says, if you forgive, then your, your trespasses are forgiven. Jesus ties here our willingness to forgive and be agents of God's grace to our reception of God's grace. Ooh, that's a tough one. Preacher done gone to meddling now. But the idea here is, you've got to learn, I've got to learn, and this takes prayer because of my limitations. It takes prayer that as I experience the grace of God in my life, I'm choosing to demonstrate that grace of God and extend it to others in forgiveness. So often Christians, sadly, this is true in families, this is true with mothers and children, and dads and children, mothers and fathers. This is true in churches. This is true in communities. People who profess to be Christians. This is sadly becoming more and more indicative of our world in which we live when people who profess to be Christians would choose to fight rather than forgive. And Jesus says, you don't get to do that. That forgiveness we receive, I really believe it's tethered to forgiveness we give. Because if we're withholding forgiveness, we're hard in our hearts. And if we're hard in our hearts, we've not received the grace of God. So we're asking God, give me grace to forgive my sins and give me grace to extend to others so I can forgive them. And then the last thing is we pray for our Father's protection. Right? Our Father's protection. Fathers give grace to their children. Mothers give grace to their children. I should do this, but I'm not. But we also pray for protection. And protection is, lead me not into temptation. But if I get myself into temptation, God doesn't lead you into temptation. But if I lead myself into temptation, and I'm faced with it, and I'm tested, deliver me from it. Right? Um, that's an incredible prayer. Because we're trusting that God's protection is going to keep us in the midst of temptation and he's going to preserve us protect us and pull us out of it you got a great passage in first corinthians i believe it is god will not give you more than you can handle boy that's on coffee cups everywhere one of the biggest one of the grossest misstatements of all of scripture you'll ever hear when somebody says i tell you what i just know god ain't gonna give me more than i can handle I tell you what, God really got a lot to think about me right now because He ain't going to give me more. He must really think I can handle a lot. He put a lot of confidence in me. 
Well, girl, you know, you know, God don't give you more than you can handle. God got you got some strong shoulders. That's garbage. Excuse me if you've said that. The verse says, God will not give you more than you can handle without also giving you a way out of it in Christ Jesus our Lord. Yeah, you're going to get a lot more than you can handle. And that's why God pulls you out through Jesus. That's why He gives you the grace to get out through Christ. And so we're praying that prayer every day. Lord, today, leave me not in a temptation, but if I get myself in it, pull me out. Pull me out. It's kind of like I have a friend of mine who... Um, I'm not going to name, but I have a friend of mine whose daughter um, got caught up in drugs. And she had a child. Um, and she had the child uh, in the drug environment. And um, my friend said over and over again to his daughter, you've got to get out of that. You've got to get out of that lifestyle. You've got to get away from that. Kept trying to keep her from doing that. Found out one night that she was laid up in a crack house. Her child was in there with her. Baby was less than two. And my friend got in his car, drove across town, pulled up in the driveway. I think he had to get physical with some people. Went in, got his daughter and his grandchild, and brought them out, put them in his car, and drove him home. She got herself in a mess, but he had to go deliver her because he loved her too much. That's what God does for you. That's what God does for me. He did it initially when I came to Christ. He does it all the time when I get myself in messes. You do the same. And so we got to be praying, Lord, take me not there, but if I go there, please pull me out in your grace. And because He is a loving Father... And because He has given us Jesus, He 100%, absolutely, no questions about it, will. And so we have to trust Him. Why is prayer so important? Because we know our limitations. And because we get access to our Heavenly Father. When you pray, if that's the God that I, I, I think the Bible is telling us we have, that's the God of the Bible, if that's my God, why wouldn't I pray? If that's my God, why wouldn't I spend time with Him? And so Jesus is saying, all right, acting, discipline yourselves to spend time with your Father, to get to know Him, to grow in a relationship with Him, because He's the one who will bail you out and has bailed you out in Christ when you get yourself in those messes. He's the one who will provide for you daily. He's the one who will forgive you and give you the grace to forgive others and make your life whole. He's the one who will have His will done in your life. And He is the one who will never turn you away. Because he loves you that much. It's pretty cool. It's pretty cool when you think about that prayer. It's a model prayer. We say it every week as if it just rolls right off the tongue. I think it's good to have it on our minds. But it just rolls off the tongue. How often do we think about what it really says about the God we serve and the God who loves us? It's pretty cool when we think about it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this word. We do ask that you'll be with us, that you'll give us your grace, and will give us our, uh, an understanding of your mercy. And Lord, we pray that you will help us to pray this prayer. Um, as we follow you uh, every day uh, for grace, uh, for daily needs, trusting you uh, to deliver us when we get ourselves in mess. Don't let us go there. Lord, keep us from going there. But if we go there, deliver us. 
Uh, your will be done in our lives, done in the world. Your name be great, be known through all things because we want you to be known because you love us so and we love you. We ask all these things in the powerful name of Jesus our Lord, the one in whom we have great hope and great faith. For it is in Christ we pray. Amen. You guys, thanks so much. It's been good. It's been fun.